This sermon content comes from Mercy Village Church located in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Well, I am Danny. I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm, I work with Sin Network West Virginia. As Pastor Paul has said, I'm also one of the pastors at Cross Lanes Baptist Church just down the road. Uh, my wife, Beth, and my daughter, Anna, are members there with me. I have two older sons that are members at Huntington Community Church just down the road. And so we're, as my boys begin to launch out, we're beginning to, to scatter a bit. But I'm glad to see that God's working. And I'm, I'm grateful for churches that are faithful to the Word. Uh, personally, I'm grateful for a church like HCC, for example, that my boys can go to and hear the Word of God preached on Sunday morning. Um, I'm grateful for churches like Mercy Village Church because other people's kids are coming here uh, or your kids are coming here and they're hearing the Bible taught, which we pray results in them being saved uh, through Jesus. Their lives changed, their eternity changed. Um, that's a big deal. And so that we be gospel-centered people, uh, Jesus-centered people, Jesus-centered churches, um, that is of utmost importance. We're going to talk about that today as we get into Colossians. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, the, the title, if you will, of what I want to share, my sermon today is Growing in Christian Maturity. Uh, what does that look like for us to grow in Christian maturity? I think as we grow in Christian maturity, it helps us understand our role as disciples and servants in God's kingdom what is he calling me to do? If I'm a believer, I've been saved. Now, what do I do? I know I've got heaven as my future. I've still got some years here. What does that look like? Well, as we get into Colossians, I want you to see a couple of things here. One, there was a, a thing called the Colossian heresy or the, the Colossian controversy. Now, we don't know exactly what was being taught, but the, basically we do know that the Colossian heresy was something that was teaching Jesus, but it was minimizing Jesus. So Jesus is being minimized through this heretical teaching. The church was being divided by man-made religion. There's false humility. There's useless traditions. And these were threatening to confuse the church and hinder gospel work. So Paul writes a letter to this church that he has a relationship with, and he encourages the church in a number of different things. One is he encourages them to stand firm in Christ, who is the sovereign king of the universe. We're going to look at parts of Colossians 1, Colossians 1 today that are one of those huge Christological passages. Jesus is king of everything. Paul's encouraging the Colossian church to stand firm in that. He's also encouraging the church to stand united as the people of God in Christ. Don't be divided. God hasn't called us to be divided He's called us to be united in Christ, together, on mission. And then Paul encourages the Colossian church to grow in love, holiness, and maturity. And I pray that we'll be able to talk about each one of those at least a little bit today as we look at Colossians 1. Let me pray for us real quick, and then we're going we're gonna to jump in. God, I pray as we've prayed already and we've sang already that, Jesus, you would be glorified today. God, this is... Uh, not about us. Uh, it is about you. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. 
God, I pray that it would be clear who Jesus is, what he's done, and God, what our response to that ought to be. So God bless us today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christian maturity. What does it look like? I want to talk very quickly, briefly, about three aspects of the mature Christian life. So if you'll turn to Colossians 1, we're going to start in verse 15. We're going to talk about three aspects of the mature Christian life. And the first one is this. The mature Christian life is a Jesus-centered life. The mature Christian life is a Jesus-centered life. Look at Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. I'm going to read these. It says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything, or some of your translations say preeminence in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Well, if the Colossian controversy was decidedly not Jesus-centered, Paul, in writing his letter to the Colossians, is explaining that the church is to be very much Jesus-centered. Look at what he says about Jesus in these first few verses that we're looking at. And, and Colossians 1, 15 through 20, if we had a lifetime to understand and break these down, they're, they're deep. It would take forever. So uh, we're going to hit the high spots this morning. One is Jesus is preeminent. He takes first place in everything. Another way to say that, Jesus is Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Jesus reveals God perfectly. He is the all-powerful creator. He is the head of the church. He is eternal. And Jesus saves us from our sin. So, Colossians teaches that. What about the rest of the Bible? The Old Testament. Josh has already shared this. The Old Testament points us to Jesus. The whole Bible is Jesus-centered. In Genesis 1, Jesus is there as creator. In Genesis 3, verse 15, God gives us a glimpse into his eternal plan to send a Savior who will defeat evil and death and sin. That's Jesus. Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. Jesus is the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the light of the world, promised in Isaiah. He's also the suffering servant that we read about there. And Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant that Jeremiah prophesies about. 
when we read the Old Testament and we see the promise of the Messiah, it's pointing us forward to Jesus who would come to love us and to save us, to fulfill the plan that God has always had. And then the New Testament continues to talk about Jesus and his beauty. I think Philippians chapter 2 captures this aspect of Jesus and who he is from the, the glorious one who emptied himself and became a humble servant. He took on humanity and flesh. Philippians 2 teaches us that Jesus obeyed the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. But from the humility of the cross, it also takes us to the authority and the greatness of the king. It says that Jesus is highly exalted, having been raised up. He's highly exalted with the name that is above every name, that every knee will bow on heaven and earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we see even there these undertones of the eschatological, the the future hope that we have, and that Revelation 19 picture of Jesus on the horse coming to save his people. The mature Christian life is a Jesus-centered life. Colossians teaches that. What's our response? Our response, if Jesus is Lord, is that we would follow, that we would serve, that we would obey. Actually, Jesus himself shows us what this looks like as we read through the Gospels and then understand Philippians 2. This Jesus is the one that we orient our lives around. We live for him, not for ourselves. He is the king We are not. One of the ways I've illustrated this with my kids is the difference between a pie chart and a bullseye. So we know what a pie chart looks like. It's got different slivers around the circle. You've got different slivers that represent different categories of something, a business, or maybe your life. So think about your life in terms of a pie chart. Parts of your life are, we've got a sliver for work. Most of us go to work. Um, You've got a sliver for family a sliver for church, and you've got these different aspects of your life that can be put into a pie chart. The problem with the pie chart is this. If one piece starts to take up a little bit more room and need more space to breathe, we've got to take something else out. Pie chart Christianity is not good because what it's saying is Jesus is a part of my life. And hopefully he can be a big part, but he's a part. I tell my kids and others, We need to be bullseye Christians. The bullseye has that big red circle in the middle. That's the goal. And that's where Jesus is. Jesus is the center. And everything else grows from that. My family life. How do I love my wife? It's based on Jesus being the center. How do I love and disciple my kids? It's based on Jesus being the center. How do I live when I'm tempted? How do I live at work and in my neighborhood? It's based on Jesus being the center. He is the goal. He is the bullseye. And Paul, just like he's teaching the Colossians there that we live a Jesus-centered life. We have a Jesus-centered faith. I pray that we would be people 
who put Jesus at the bullseye of our lives. We're aiming for him every day. Romans 8, 29 tells us that ultimately God's plan is that we would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. And we're growing into that. So the first thing that Paul shows us here in Colossians chapter 1 is that the mature Christian life is a Jesus-centered life. The second thing is this. The mature Christian life is a born-again life. The mature Christian life is a born-again life. Look at verses 21 through 23 here. It says this. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Notice some of the words that he uses in the beginning here, verse 21, to describe who they were or who we were before we were believers, alienated hostile, and evil. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we understand that Jesus takes that with him to the cross. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, the one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. So our sin goes to the son, Jesus, and he takes it to the cross and dies with it. That alienation, that hostile mind, those evil actions that we all have, Jesus took them on himself, died and paid the penalty for them. He gives us in return his righteousness. My dad sold used cars whenever I was growing up. He's always looking for a good trade. Jesus taking my sin and giving me his righteousness is the best trade in the world. So now we're not alienated, we're not hostile, we're not evil in our actions, but it says we're holy, faultless, and blameless. He has reconciled us and purified us. He's brought us from death to life. I remember when I understood this truth as a 19-year-old. I was in college my freshman year. I was beginning to get it in the fall. My roommate was a guy from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm from North Carolina. I'm, I'd never really left North Carolina except to go to Myrtle Beach, right? Um, anybody been to Myrtle Beach before? <laughs> I remember when I was going to Myrtle Beach, I'm like, man, what are all these people from Ohio and West Virginia doing down here, right? It's like, um, but I meet this guy from Massachusetts and I'm thinking, he is weird. And, and, you know what's ironic? I thought he talked weird. Um, I've, I've tried to change my accent a little bit over the years. But I grew up going to church. I thought I was a Christian. And I began to listen to this born-again guy talk about what Jesus is doing in his life. And I knew right away that I didn't have what he had. And I began to listen. I began to think. I began to process through this. And in the spring, I went to a campus crusade meeting and I heard the gospel preached 
maybe for the first time. I know I understood it for the first time. And I remember going back to my dorm, like after the meeting, everybody wants to hang out and, and, you know, go eat pizza or do whatever. I couldn't, I had to go back to my dorm room. And I remember praying and asking God to forgive me that I wanted new life. I didn't want to be alienated. I didn't want to be hostile in my mind. I didn't want to have evil actions anymore. I wanted to be holy, faultless, and blameless. And Jesus did that for me. He saved me. He can, he does that for us. That's what it means by born again. We become new people when we confess Jesus as Lord. His spirit comes to live inside of us and and we're changed. Everything changes. I can remember going home and telling my mom that I was holy. That that the Bible says Jesus has made me holy. And I remember my mom getting mad at me, telling me I was arrogant because she's remembering the old Danny who wasn't very holy. And I'm thinking, I know that I'm not on my own, but I am because of Jesus. She thought I was being uppity. I wasn't. I was speaking the truth in Christ. Look at Colossians 1, 13 and 14. I love this. It says, Jesus, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look at Colossians 2, 12. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Verse 14 there in Colossians 2. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us. And opposed us. And he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. John 19.30 is one of my favorite verses. Jesus on the cross. If not the very last thing he says. One of the very last things he says is. It is finished. That word means the debt. Colossians 2.14 here. Some the debt has been paid in full. What I owed to God, the, the judgment that I deserve because of my sin, Jesus took all of it for me, for you, for us. He paid the penalty and it says he erased that certificate of debt. The obligation, that thing that stood against us and opposed us, Jesus has wiped it clean. We can be forgiven. We're alive. We're forgiven. All of our trespasses. Romans 8, 1, good news, guys. No condemnation. There's now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of the basic truths of being born again. One, God gives us new life in Christ through his spirit. God's spirit comes to live inside of us. Ephesians 1, 13 says he's, the, he's like a stamp in our lives, the seal guaranteeing our inheritance. The other thing about being born again, turn very quickly to Romans 8. When we are born again, we are adopted into God's family. Romans 8, 14 says this, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons, 
For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, just like we sang, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. We have new life in Christ through his spirit. We're adopted into the family of God. Guys, this is so much more than pray a prayer, get a church membership somewhere, and hope it all works out in the end. Through Jesus, we have new life. We're adopted into God's family. We have a rock-solid hope for our future. The born-again life is a life where we share in the love that the Father has for the Son the, that the love that the Father has always had for the Son through the Spirit. Think about that. If you're born again, you have entered into a relationship with the God of the universe because He loves you and wants to save you and desires that you be a child in His family. That is good news. God loves us the same that He loves His Son, Jesus. The eternal love of the Father has been poured out on us. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 came to Jesus because he had questions about this man that he, he didn't know exactly what to do with. And he began to ask him things. And Jesus goes straight to the heart of the matter. And he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Later testimony in the Bible tells us that Nicodemus was born again. He was there at the, at the cross. He was there when Jesus was buried. This man understood that he needed new life through Jesus. My sin condemns me, but Jesus saves me from it. If I'm going to live the Christian life, I must be born again through Jesus, his work on the cross, and his spirit that comes and lives inside of me and changes me forever. Third point about the mature Christian life is this. The mature Christian life is a disciple making life. So not only is it, is it a Jesus-centered life, not only is it a born-again life, but it's a life that, that involves work. It's a disciple-making life. Look at verses 24 through 29. Paul says this to the church in Colossians. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. As Paul begins a, a defense of his ministry, because these in that heresy, that false teaching that was in the Colossian church, they were also undermining Paul's ministry. He begins to defend that. And, and the call is to make disciples. And in verse 24, he introduces this interesting phrase. And this is what he says. I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, 
What could be lacking in Christ's afflictions? We've just said that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. This word lacking is not speaking about the redemptive work of Jesus. The redemptive work of Jesus to save people from sin, the redemptive work of Jesus is not lacking in any way. John 19.30, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. The debt is paid. Hebrews 9.12 and Hebrews 10.14, read through Hebrews 9 and 10. It says that he paid the penalty, he offered the sacrifice of his own body once for all. So the redemptive work of Jesus is completed. It's perfect. It is not lacking. However, the kingdom building work of making disciples has not yet been completed. There is still much to be done and there will be difficulty or suffering along the way as we do it. There are still people groups in the world that have not heard the good news of Jesus. Actually, a a heartbreaking percentage of the people groups in the world haven't heard the good news of Jesus. So there is lack in the gospel kingdom building work. What are we to do? King Jesus has commissioned us to a task and it is to make disciples. Paul says in verse 28, the goal of this task, we proclaim him. We warn, we teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature or complete in Christ. Our goal is to see mature believers, disciples who are able to continue making disciples. Again, I use the example of my kids, and I I see this a lot, and I want to warn against it. Hey, if I can just get my kid to to pray the sinner's prayer and be baptized and be saved, I'm all good. Guys, that's not what Paul's teaching here. Paul is teaching a lifelong commitment to growing in maturity in Christ. uh, Philippians 1 says it this way. It says that he who began a good work in you has promised that he will carry it on to completion, to the day of Christ Jesus. So God begins this work in our lives when we are saved and then discipleship happens. And Paul says he wants to present the Colossian Christians and other Christians to be mature in Christ. This task, this work of discipleship It's work, but it's not burdensome work. In the call to discipleship, God has given us purpose and meaning in life. Have you ever asked the question, I wonder what God's will for my life is? We've probably all, if we're Christians, we've thought that at some point. Here's the question, a way I would restate the question. Just don't say, hey God, what is your will for my life? Just ask the question, what is God's will? God's will is that we make disciples. God's will is that we go out... Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations. Discipleship and disciple-making, what, what is that? It's not self-improvement. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. I want, to be a better, I want to be the better version of me. No. God has said his goal is for me to be conformed to the image of Jesus, not to the image of Danny. Disciple-making is not self-improvement. It is not self-help. Disciple-making, discipleship is the culmination of, of a Jesus-centered and born-again life. 
It is the joyful overflow of walking in the Spirit and serving the King of the universe. Discipleship is not guilt-driven, it is love-driven. It is living out the life of Jesus that already exists inside of us through the power of the Spirit. What does disciple-making look like in our context? Church attendance, Sunday morning, that's good. Uh, That's part of what God has called us to. But disciple-making is when we live life on life with other believers, encouraging one another in the faith and spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. Are you in a small group with other Christians studying the word and seeking to apply it to your life? Do you have another brother or sister in Christ that's a part of your life who is holding you accountable? Notice that Paul, as far as any of the other disciples, they did not live the Christian life alone. Actually, verse 1 of Colossians says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother. Paul had people in his life. He had Timothy's, he had Barnabas's, he had Silas's. Who do you have in your life that's helping you walk and live the Christian life? These people were in covenant community. They were growing together. They were encouraging one another in the word and they were letting it shape their lives and their mission. They were life on life. They were shoulder to shoulder. Do you have somebody that you're doing life with in a discipleship relationship? Do you have somebody that you're discipling? If you're a parent, are you discipling your kids at home? Are they hearing and seeing the gospel lived out in your house? I want to recommend a book real quick, Revolutionary Parenting. If you're a parent or even a grandparent, Revolutionary Parenting by George Barna, uh, written from a, a Christian perspective. Wonderful book, simple, quick read on how to raise up children with a, with a biblical worldview. As we bring Colossians 1 here to a close, I want us to think for a minute about what does it mean to live out this Christian life? What does it mean to, to live as a disciple, to make disciples who make disciples? Not to live for myself, but to live for Jesus, a Jesus-centered life. Michael Reeves, in his book Overflow, says this, What are you living for? What do you love? Can it give you real joy? My friend, I'm going to plead with you now. Don't settle for idols when you can have the real thing. Stop living for anything less than the glory and the graciousness of the triune God. Live and die for the glory of Jesus. Don't settle for a good career. It won't satisfy. Don't settle for comfort. It's boring. Don't settle for trying to be popular. The feeling is empty after a while. These things, if you buy into their allure, will bite you and hurt you later. Instead, this day, choose to plant your flag and say, I will live and die for nothing less than the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we read your word and we see all that you say to us. 
And God, we are uh, humbled that you would speak to us. God, that you've revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus. God, that he has come to reveal and, and God, to save. That God, on the cross, he bore our burden, our sin, so that we could be forgiven and have new life. God, you put your spirit inside of us. God, help us to live this life out. God, help us to be Jesus-centered. It is so easy for us to be self-focused. And God, we don't want to do that. God, I pray if anyone here has not been born again, that they would understand what that means and that they would be born again. God, I pray that for the children that are hearing the gospel and growing up in Christian homes, God, I pray that they would be born again. God, I pray for folks in these in this community, that they would hear the gospel and be Jesus-centered and born again. And God, I pray that you would help us be people who make disciples. God, I pray that we would make disciples where we are here. God, in the communities where we live and the jobs where we work. God, I pray that we would be willing to make disciples in other places if that's where you call us to. God, maybe a different part of this state as a part of another church planner, God, maybe on the other side of the world, engaging an unreached people group, God, help us to be people that make disciples. And I pray that those disciples would make disciples and that your kingdom would continue to grow, that it would come. And that, God, there would not be anything lacking. That, God, Jesus, the work would be done and you would come back. We look forward to that. God bless us as we continue to worship, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.